And now, coming to you from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting throughout the multiverse, the Nine Realms, Niflheim, Svartalfheim, Olympus, Niedeveller, basically anywhere that has the internet, really, we proudly present Radio Free Asgard. You are tuned to Radio Free Asgard, episode number 216. Otter's Ransom Winter had lost its heart. Every day the stallions Arvak and Alsvid rose earlier to haul the sun's chariot across the sky, and quietly the snow pulled back from the valleys and plains of Midgard. Small choirs of birds sang, and Odin, Loki, and Honir were eager to leave Asgard and resume their exploration of the worlds. Early one morning, the three gods crossed Bivrust. Talking and laughing, they spring-heeled into Midgard, and Odin and Loki had to stretch their legs to keep up with swift Honir. Suddenly, a late snowstorm assaulted the travelers. They shrugged their way through thick, wet flakes that tangled and danced and spun and flew in every direction till that wild onslaught ended as abruptly as it had begun. The sun boomed through layers of shapeless cloud, filling it with fierce yellow light. And then there was only the orb of the sun, the expanding acres of pale blue sky, and the blue and green levels of open Midgard. The three gods followed the course of a river towards its head, and in the afternoon they walked up under a waterfall. They strode into the thunder through the spray diamonds and stared into the maelstrom. Then Odin spotted an otter stretched out on the scraggy bank not fifty paces from them. He pointed it out to Loki and Honir. The otter's eyes were shut. Feeling blessed and rather drowsy in the afternoon sun, it had just begun to eat a salmon and caught in the waterfall. Loki pursed his lips. He bent down and picked up a fist-sized stone, took aim and threw it as hard as he could at the otter. The stone hit the animal on the head and killed it outright. Well then, shouted Loki, struggling back to Odin and Honir with the salmon under one arm and the limp otter under the other. What do you say to that? Two for the price of one. The three companions were all equally delighted. Loki at his prowess, and Odin and Honir at the prospect of a good meal that evening. They climbed up the steep bank beside the waterfall and continued on their way up the narrowing river valley. The sun had already been drawn out of sight, and it was halfway to dark when the gods saw a farm only a little way ahead of them. Smoke lifted from its chimney. They quickened their step and gave thanks for their good fortune. Can you give us lodgings for the night? Odin asked the farmer Hreidmar. We've no wish for a dew bed. How many are you? said Hreidmar. There are two others outside, Odin replied, and we can pay for our beds with food. We were in luck today, and there's enough for everyone. For my sons as well, said Hreidmar. For Fafnir and Regan, and for my daughters Lingheid and Lofnheid. Enough for everyone, said Odin airily. Then Hreidmar nodded without much enthusiasm, and Odin went to the door and called to Loki and Honir. Here we are, said Honir. And here's our supper, said Loki cheerfully. I bagged them both with one stone. When Hreidmar saw the otter draped under his nose, he stiffened. 
For a moment his eyes glazed, and he turned and walked out of the room. What's wrong with him? said Loki. Odin shrugged. A cool welcome is better than a cold night, he said. I'm not so sure, said No, Odin replied, you never are. Reidmar walked down the low passage, punching the turf walls, and found Fafnir and Regan. What do you think, he said, your brother Otter is dead. Dead, exclaimed the brothers leaping up. Dead. And what else do you think? His murderers are our guests for the night. Fafnir and Regan were outraged and swore to avenge Otter's death. There are three of them and three of us, said Reidmar, so we'd have to surprise them. Each of us must take one when I give the nod. One has rather a fine spear and might be better off without it, and one has strange shoes and might be better off barefoot. I see nothing harmful about the third. I'll use my magic. I'll chant spells to weaken them. I'll sing a charm to bind them. Fafner and Regan did just as their father said. The three of them leapt on to their visitors, and the farmer magician, Hreidmar, weakened their resistance so that Odin lost his spear, Gungnir, and Loki was relieved of his sky shoes. When the three gods lay on the ground, bound hand and foot, Hreidmar shouted, My son! You've killed my son! I'll kill you all for vengeance! You've killed my son! What does he mean? asked Odin. Otter was our brother, Fafnir said. The finest of fishermen, said Regan. He had the likeness of an otter by day, Fafnir said. All day he lived in the river and beside the river, and brought his prey to our father. A supply of fresh fish. Our brother. We didn't know this, said Odin. If we had, Loki would never have killed him. Dead is dead, said Hreidmar. We didn't know this, Odin said again. Do you think we'd have come straight to his father's farm? You must at least give us a chance to pay a ransom before killing us. Reidmar looked down at his three visitors and said nothing. I speak for the three of us, Odin said. We'll pay as much as you demand. Reidmar thought for a while. That would be fair, he said, if you were to keep your word. You must swear an oath, and if you break it, you will all pay with your heads. Then the three companions swore that they would raise as much as Hreidmar asked. All right, said the magician, turning to Fafnir and Regan. Where are Linghide and Lovnhide? Have them flay Otter and bring me his skin again. Fafnir and Regan obeyed their father, and then Hreidmar laid out Otter's handsome skin beside the fire. First you must fill this with red gold, he told the gods, and then you must cover it with red gold into the bargain. It must be wholly covered. That is the ransom for the death of my son. So be it, said Odin, and he rolled over until he was close enough to Loki to whisper in his ear. Loki listened carefully, and then he said, Let me go for the gold. Let me go and hold the other two as hostages. So Hreidmar untied Loki's bonds, and with a snatch of a look and a jeering laugh that left Hreidmar and his sons and even Honir uneasy, Loki threw open the door and ran out into the night. Loki had left his sky shoes in the care of the magician, and at any rate he was in no great hurry. He knew Hreidmar had nothing to gain by killing Odin and Honir, and everything to win by waiting for his return with the red gold. 
but he was not especially averse to the thought of mighty Odin and long-legged Honir lying for a while, bound hand and foot. He dawdled all the way across Midgard to the island of Hlesi. There, Loki visited Aegir and Ron in their hall on the seabed. The gods are in danger, he told Ron breathlessly. Odin himself lies bound. Odin and Honir, and only Ornette can save them. The wife of the sea god opened her cold, pale eyes very wide. Lend me your drowning net. I can use it, and not to snare men, but to save gods. When Odin had talked Ron into parting with her net, he left the hall beneath the waves quickly in case she changed her mind, and headed for the world of the dark elves. Loki picked his way down a chain of dripping tunnels and through a maze of twilight chambers until he came to a massive cavern. Its roof was supported by columns of rock thicker than tree trunks, and its corners were still and dark. A little light, however, filtered into the middle of the cavern from a vertical shaft in the roof and showed Loki what he had come to see. A large, silent pool filled with water that seemed to spring from nowhere and flow nowhere. Loki spread out Ron's finely meshed net and cast it into the pool. He dragged it and pulled it up, and there, furiously lashing and writhing, was a large pike snared in the net. Avoiding its nasty teeth and the equally nasty look in its yellow eyes, Loki took hold of it. First, he said, as he gave the pike a horrible shaking, you'll change shape. Change shape, echoed the cavern. Then there was no pike but the dwarf and Vari in Ron's dripping net. Loki disentangled him, keeping a firm hold all the while on the back of his neck. What do you want? whined Anvari. You want, said the cavern. What I want is your gold. Otherwise, I'll wring you out like a piece of washing. All your gold. All your gold, boomed the cavern. Anvari shuddered. He led Loki out of the echoing chamber and down a twisting passage into his smithy. It was hot and smoky, but well fitted out, and well stocked with gold that gleamed in the firelight. The dwarf spread out his hands and shrugged. Gather it up, said Loki, kicking a gold nugget. And Vari scrambled around, cursing and moaning. He made a pile of discs and chips and splinters and small bars of red gold, of objects already made and objects half made. Loki looked at the stack and was well satisfied. Is that all? he said. And Vari said nothing. He stowed the gold into two old sacks and filled them both. Then grunting, he dragged them across the smithy and stood with them in front of Loki. What about that ring? said Loki, pointing at the dwarf's closed right hand. I saw you hide it. And Vari shook his head. Put it in the sack, said Loki. Let me keep it, begged Advari. Just this ring. Put it in the sack, said Loki. Let me keep this, just this, pleaded the dwarf. Then at least I'll be able to make more gold again. I have no need of more, said Loki, and I'm going to strip you to the bone. He stepped forward, and knocking aside one sack, forced open Advari's fists and seized the little twisted ring. It was marvelously wrought, and Loki slipped it onto his own little finger. What is not freely given must be taken by force, he said. Nothing was freely given, Edvard. Loki shouldered the sacks and turned towards the door of the smithy. Take the ring, yelled the dwarf. My curse on that ring and that gold. 
It'll destroy whoever owns it. Loki turned round and faced Anvari. So much the better, he said. No one will enjoy with my wealth, shouted Anvari. If, said Loki, if I repeat your words to those about to get this gold, then Anvari, your curse will come to pass. And with that, Loki turned round again, and with oaths and spells in his ears made his way out of the world of the Dark Elves and into Midgard. You took your time, said Odin. Honir said nothing. He looked rather fearful. Hard won and well won, said Loki. He dumped the sacks of red gold in front of his companions. And what do you say to this, he whispered, showing Odin the twisted finger ring which he had wrenched from Anvari. Odin blinked and marveled at its subtle beauty. Give it to me, he said. At last, said Hreidmar as he walked into the room, followed by his two sons and two daughters. He nodded, and Fafnir and Regan cut Odin and Honir free from their bonds. Slowly and stiffly, the two gods stood up. They flexed their muscles, they rubbed their hands together, they looked at their chafed wrists and ankles. Well then, said Hreidmar. You must stuff the skin yourself, said Loki, or you'll never be satisfied. He emptied one sack onto the ground, and the magician stowed piece after piece inside Otter's skin. He filled it so that it was plump and taut, bursting from top to tail. And now we'll cover it completely, Loki said, opening the second sack and pouring another mound of metal over the marl floor. While Honir held Otter's skin upright, snout down, Odin and Loki heaped the gold around it. They built Otter a barrow of gold. So said Odin, with the satisfaction of a job well done. Come and look for yourself, Ragnar. We've covered the skin completely. The magician walked around and round the stack. He walked around it again. He examined the gold inch by inch. Here, he said, here's a whisker. This must be covered and hidden. Otherwise, I'll hold that you've broken your oath, and that will be the end of our understanding. Loki looked at Odin, and Odin looked at the twisted ring on his little finger. He sniffed and drew it off and placed it over the single whisker showing. Now, said Odin loudly, we've paid Otter's ransom in full. You have indeed, said Reinhardt. Still rather unsteady on his feet, Odin lurched across the room to where his spear, Gungnir, was propped up in the corner. And Loki fell on his sky shoes and at once put them on. A sense of their own strength surged within them. They looked at Hreidmar and Fafnir and Regan with no great liking. Listen carefully, said Loki. That ring and all that gold was made by the dwarf Anvari. I only wrested it from him with his curse. Loki paused. And what he said, I say, what he said will hold. Loki's voice was low and compelling. Take that ring. My curse on that ring and that gold. It will destroy whoever owns it. Odin looked at Loki. His eye glittered and Loki smiled crookedly. Then Honir took one step and was at their side. The three companions stepped out of the farmhouse into the welcoming spring air. Some good stuff here from Kevin Crossley Holland's The Norse Myths and Otter's Ransom. 
it's one of those interesting stories because we see sides of, of Odin and Loki that we don't normally see. We have that side of, of Odin that we've seen before where he's okay with deceiving people at times, especially when it suits the gods' purposes. And we actually have Loki as almost the hero of the piece. He's the one who actually solves the problem. And he doesn't try to, to trip everything up. True, he's willing to let Honir and Odin sit a little bit longer than they would like and, and you know, have their legs and arms cramp up from being, being bound. But at the same time, he actually gets the job done. He goes to Anvari, he gets the gold, he comes back, he does everything he's supposed to do. And it's easy to forget when we're covering these Thor comics that Loki wasn't always a bad guy. And that's one of those things that I like about this, this story as well. Now, one of the things I found really interesting is that this family with their shape-shifting brother, who, I mean, he's pretty much just dead throughout the whole story. Where do you think this takes place? Well, think back. It takes place on Earth, on Midgard. So here's this idea of the shape-shifting creature actually existing on Earth. And we have these runes and spells being cast by Otter's father that, you know, this isn't some mystical realm, or at least it's not any mystical than any other realm. I think uh, last episode is talking a little bit about the, the issue we were covering, where I pointed out that, that Midgard is kind of a big deal in Norse mythology. It's, it's one of the nine realms, and therefore has some importance unto itself. And here's a story where that's really kind of brought across. I mean, you know, Odin and Loki and, and Honey are going to explore Midgard. So obviously it's not a trivial place. It's an important place. And just because it's sparsely populated doesn't mean that it's any less in its, its majesty and its magic than to any other of the nine realms. And that's something that I think that could be brought across in the comics more, if you want to, to really put a point on it, is that yeah, the Earth shouldn't be treated as though or trivial. I mean, it actually is just as big a deal as Svartalfheim or, or Niflheim or any of the other realms. Now, the other aspect of the story that I find equally as interesting, and this is kind of from a different perspective, is how this ties into other things. Now, a lot of people out there have heard of Richard Wagner, the, the composer, the composer of the opera cycle, The Ring of the Nibelung. Now, this myth ties into that. Fafnir, if you remember, was one of the two giants, brothers who fought over the Rheingold. And this cursed gold is, in, in essence, the Rheingold. Now, obviously, between the Nibelung lead, which is what Wagner used to write the operas, is a a German version of the myth and not a Scandinavian version of the myth. So there are some, some key differences. But that all ties together. This is the cursed gold from which the Ring of the Nibelung was made. And this is the, the curse that was passed along to the hero Sigurd, or Siegfried in the operas. And so the story continues this is just the start. This is basically the prelude to the prelude to the Ring of the Nibelung, where you actually have the origin of how the gold got cursed to begin with. So in that regard, I find it really immensely interesting. And really, if it weren't for Wagner, 
it's it's arguable whether a lot of these myths would have come into the public consciousness in in the West. Are we are I would say in non-Germanic countries. When you think about it, Norse mythology is fairly obscure, and we have a very limited number of of avenues into our culture where that takes place. And Wagner's a big one. And you can also point out that you know, of course, you know, sixty, seventy years after Wagner, we had the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien who borrowed a lot from Norse mythology in his various writings. We have even whole little chunks of myths taken out, and Tolkien put them in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I mean, so obviously he was a scholar of this stuff and used it extensively in his own writing. But if you really think about it, if not for Wagner and Tolkien, there's very few other vectors that we have for Norse mythology to be coming into our sphere of of consciousness and i would argue that you know if it weren't for for wagner we probably would never have had thor comics it's possible we would have i mean but the thor and odin and that whole group would have been a lot more obscure than they were so it's things like that you know those connections that i find really interesting about mythology in general now if you want to hear more about mythology you should go listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. And I'm hoping that someday they actually have a trailer that we can play on the show because they are awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that eventually that we can get a, uh, a trailer from them that we can play on the show and promote them here because they do a great job. There's a great couple guys and I, I really like the stuff that they do. And you can actually hear their podcast over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. All right, so before we go, I just have a couple of shout-outs here. This week, we have two new followers over on the Podbean site. Hooray, yeah. So we've been getting a lot of those lately, haven't we? Um, and, of course, we never hear from them, so we don't know who they are. But uh, I just want to wish a very warm welcome along to Vix Rights, who has followed us this past week, and also to RobJam559. So welcome aboard, folks. And if you want to join us over on the Facebook group or on our Twitter account, please feel free to do so. Just look for Radio Free Asgard over on Facebook, or indeed you can find us on Twitter at Radio Free Asgard. So we're pretty easy to find. So anyway, so uh, yeah, welcome along and hope you join the conversation. Now, of course, if you want to email the show, you can do so. You can email us at radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. All right, so that's about it for this week, folks. Thanks once again, folks, for listening. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. You have been listening to Radio Free Asgard, a production of Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The Mighty Thor and all associated characters are mostly copyright Marvel Comics. The stories presented are done so for educational, review, and entertainment purposes only. No ownership is implied. The silly voices, however, well, they're all me. Musical selections from Eden, the Invincible Sword of the Elfsmith, are copyright Mott's Vent and are used with permission. If you like what you've heard on the show, we hope you'll leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, or even join our Facebook group. We really love hearing from our listeners, and we appreciate all of your support. Thanks once again very much for listening to Radio Free Asgard.